Many of us hear a voice that pulls on our hearts. It's a good voice that speaks to us about the people in our lives. And it's inviting us to invite them to our church. But something prevents us from acting on it. Maybe it's the fear of what they might think. Maybe it's a feeling that we're in some way disqualified. Maybe we feel like we don't have all the answers yet or that we don't want to put our friends on the spot. But Easter's just around the corner and that changes the game. It's unique because most people already want to go to church on Easter. They just need to be invited. So what might happen if you asked God, who? That's it. God, who should I invite? He will answer that prayer because he's anxious to answer that prayer. We only need ears to hear. And maybe that voice has actually been his voice all along. Again? Again. Hey man, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Well, happy Palm Sunday, church. Thank you uh, for joining us, and we are so stoked and excited that you have joined us today, uh, not only to celebrate Palm Sunday, but it is also Communion Sunday, so if you can have your bread and your juice ready, we will participate and partake of the Lord's uh, Supper uh, to conclude our worship time together. Amen? All right, and it's, we're going to take a break from our series from First Peter uh, these next two weeks to celebrate Holy Week and to commemorate the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry in Jerusalem. And we will be joining literally millions and millions of Christians all around the world celebrating this Holy Day, commonly referred to as Palm Sunday. So, would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21? We're going to be talking about Hosanna to the True King. Hosanna to the true King. And this will be seven years straight. I will be preaching on Palm Sunday and what is Palm Sunday all about. And there's different aspects to look at it, different angles of Hoshiana and the Son of David. We could go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, all the different Gospels and how they viewed it. Um, but uh, it, it's kind of uh, difficult, you know, to kind of uh, look through it from a fresh perspective. Uh, but I'm reminded a couple of weeks ago, I, I did a wedding in Big Island and it was a one and it was a wonderful time. And after the wedding ceremony, people are like, oh, pastor, that was such a beautiful ceremony. That was so uh, wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And and it was a beautiful setting. It was a farm in Kona and Big Island. The presence of God had already been there. There was a celebratory culture. Friends, family just want to support uh, Kalani and Kaluhi and and all I had to do was really not get in the way of what God was doing. And, you know, how silly would it be if I was like, well, you know, it's because of my hard work or because of, of my public speaking skills. Like, how silly would that be? It would be as silly as Palm Sunday. 
And if the donkey that Jesus was riding on, as people were throwing palms on the floor and they're putting their cloaks on the road, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And this donkey that Jesus is riding on, he begins to think he's hot stuff. And he begins to start strutting with his chest out and his head held up high with swag in his step, thinking it was all about him. And, <laughs> you know, initially I was going to title my message, Palm Sunday, we're just the donkeys that Jesus rides on. But is there really more to Palm Sunday besides that? Uh, is, is there more in scripture? But here's the good news, you guys. The good news that God's word is inexhaustible, which means we can never exhaust. We can never run out of the depth and the riches of God's word. We will never arrive to fully knowing. First Corinthians 13 says, when the perfect comes, when Christ returns, then we will know fully and completely. Until then, we see like in a mirror and God's word and the depth and the riches of his word, we cannot know it all and contain it all. And so uh, with that, uh, God has uh, given me new insight, even in this very familiar text, uh, Palm Sunday, and the correlation or the interconnectedness between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So let's turn to Matthew's Gospel in Matthew chapter 21, and let's read God's Word and how Jesus is the true King in His triumphal entry. Verse 1, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is a combination of Zechariah 9 and Isaiah 62, 11. Verse 6, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. So Father, we invite you right now, Lord God, to... Uh, illuminate our hearts, O oh Lord God, to open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your law. Lord, this morning we shout, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the Hosanna to the son of David because you are the true king. So Lord, I pray, O oh God, that our hearts right now will be fertile ground for your word to take root to change us, to transform us from the inside out. I pray, Lord, that our affections for you, Jesus, will grow stronger, that our love would be deeper and more sincere in our worship and our devotion to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Amen. You know, last Friday, uh, after a long week, Renee and I got together. Um, it wasn't even Friday night yet. It was like late Friday afternoon. It was a long week. And we had our scheduled meeting to kind of plan out what's happening in the weekend and to say, you know, kind of communicate, key to marriage, communicate what was going to happen throughout the week. Uh, Saturday morning, Noah had to be at Kaiser High School at 6 a.m. here for an ROTC competition. Judah had work at the YMCA as a lifeguard at 8, 8.30 in the morning. Then he needed to be picked up at 11.30 so that he can go to Kaiser High School for a track meet. And I need to drop off Ezra and he needed to be picked up at 4. And as we were going through this, uh, this was Saturday, and then uh, well, what's going to happen on Saturday, Friday, uh, Renee is like, oh my gosh, and you know, before we do all that, I won't have any time tomorrow because how busy it is, uh, but f tonight I'm going to have to drive all the way to town. I'm going to have to drive to Evelay to Home Depot to pick up some palm plants and to palm, bra and palm branches. And I was thinking, I was like, man, that's, we are so busy and we're going to make this, uh, like, why do we make such a big deal out of Palm Sunday? Honestly, uh, this is church, no lying. I was just going to go through 1 Peter 3, 15 about righteous suffering. And then Renee was like, hey, I know you got your sermon ready, but, you know, it's Palm Sunday. It's a, the triumphal entry of Jesus. And you should preach on Palm Sunday. It's special. Um, you know, and I think oftentimes we think of Palm, Palm Sunday and the kids having the palm branches, whipping each other with it, and they have the palm leaves. Um, and we don't understand the significance of Palm Sunday and the, uh, the depth and the historical and biblical perspective from the Old Testament. And so all that to say, you guys, is this, that I have one big main takeaway and, and three um, applications, application points for us regarding Palm Sunday, how Jesus is a true king, Hosanna to the true king. Would you uh, type this in or write this down? The triumphal entry on Palm Sunday affirms Jesus as the true king. The triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, it affirms, it confirms Jesus as the true king. When Jesus made his victorious arrival in Jerusalem, that's to say as people were waving their palm branches, putting it on the floor, and taking up, people taking off their cloaks, putting it on the road, and they were shouting, Hosanna, Jesus confirmed himself as the rightful king. See, Palm Sunday was a coronation of his kingship and the, announce, the announcement of his kingdom. Uh, earlier in Luke's gospel, we noticed that Jesus had resolved his mind to begin his journey to Jerusalem so that he could initiate the triumphal entry. So, in other words, early on in Jesus' ministry, he resolved in his heart that, you know what, I need to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to Jerusalem. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, verse 51. When the, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him 
because his face was set towards Jerusalem. This idea of Jesus, uh, New Testament scholars, um, they, they call this the, the resolution to Jerusalem. That when Jesus resolved, this is from Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, where it says, The Lord helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. What's my point here? My point here is that Jesus was resolved. His mind was made. His heart was set. His um, spirit was determined. His will was decided that he was going to go through Jerusalem so that he can be a suffering, suffering servant and he could be the true king of Israel. And the importance of the triumphal entry is this that Jesus wasn't going to be distracted by his disciples having visions of grandeur and how they're going to be seated at the right hand of Jesus. That Jesus was not going to succumb to pressure and people's expectations. Jesus, he set his face twice here, all throughout um, the Gospels. He set his face towards Jerusalem specifically so that he could ultimately die for our sins for Good Friday and be resurrected, but it starts with this Palm Sunday. In fact, in John chapter 6, verse 15, um, it says, Perceiving when they were about to come, they were take him by force to make him king. Like the people, they were they had expectations. They they pressured Jesus. Hey, they were gonna take him by force. Hey, you be our king. You you become our military leader. You you you're gonna make us victorious. But Jesus, he withdrew himself. He says, not yet time. But when he set his face, when he made a resolution, he knew that he was gonna be the true king of Israel. And the disciples' understanding of Jesus' last journey to Jerusalem was flawed. They saw him as a king moving towards to take control, and he was. But they could not understand or grasp that Jesus would win in Jerusalem over sin and Satan and death and all the enemies of righteousness, that this would be won through his own horrible suffering and death. And the kingdom which they thought would be established immediately would in fact be coming thousands of years later. Here's the first observation for us. The first triumphal entry anticipates to the second triumphal entry. Let me repeat that. The first triumphal entry, it anticipates, it points to, it, look for, it looks forward to a second triumphal entry. What do I mean by that? Did you know that Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, was not the first time someone rode on a donkey into Jerusalem to be king. Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, another man rode into Jerusalem to declare his kingship. In that first triumphal entry, we uncover a precious truth about the second triumphal entry. We're all familiar with King David, right? King David, he was the boy who defeated giants as a child, who conquered armies as a youth. By the time uh, First Kings rolls around, had been ruling for decades, and he was an old man. He was too sick to even, and he was too weak to even warm himself. 
and it was clear to the nation and everyone around him that David was too sick and he was going to die soon and, and um, there will be a new king. Now, one of David's son, Adonijah, decides, you know what, I want to be king. So he uses um, strategy, uh, old SNL with Will Ferrell, strategery. So he uses a strategery or he uses strategy rather. And he uses a military leader in Joab and a priestly leader in Abiathar. You guys got that? So Adonijah, he was a son. He wasn't supposed to be the king, but he wanted to usurp and circumvent King David. How is he going to do it? Well, he needed a religious leader. So he got a Joab or Abiathar rather, and he got a military leader, Joab. And he gathers them and he wanted... He wanted to make like a little private coronation party. He's like, okay, you guys got me? You guys agree I'm the next leader? Okay. The problem was that David had already appointed Solomon to be the next king. And Adonijah's power play, it was really a hostile takeover and a murderous threat to his rivals. Specifically, his royal brother Solomon and his queen mother Bathsheba. But even, even more than that, it was a threat to David's promise because the Lord had promised David that David would have an enduring royal dynasty specifically through Solomon in 1 Chronicles 22. Let me pause here, you guys. Nothing is new under the sun, right? This family drama, this backstabbing, this betrayal, this kind of Game of Thrones power struggle has been around since the beginning of time. So David's wife, Bathsheba, Solomon's mom, he alerts uh, King David and tells him, hey, what's about to happen to your kingdom? And Bathsheba uh, confers with Nathan. Nathan was a true prophet of the oath that he made in response to God's covenantal promises. Actually, the word uh, Bathsheba, uh, it actually means daughter, bait, right? Or uh, bat meaning daughter, daughter of the oath. So Bathsheba is a daughter of promise, all right? So David affirms his plans and he gets Solomon and he moves into action. And um, David, he gathers Nathan, Zadok, and Benaiah, a godly prophet, a godly priest, and a advisor to the king. And let's go here in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 38. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Kerithites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon, King David's mount on King David's mule. They escorted him to Gihon, which is in the valley of Jerusalem, Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Let's continue in verse 39. Then they sounded the trumpet and all the people shouted, Long live the king, long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, playing pipes and rejoicing greatly, so that the ground shook with the sound. So David, he gives his mule kind of like the Air Force One, uh, he gives his mule to Solomon and he parades him in Solomon into Jerusalem from the Gihon Valley across to the Kidron Valley. 
and Solomon was anointed and he was enthroned in the public in public with a triumphant celebration. So this is not like a secret self-exaltation party that you throw for yourself that nobody goes to, but God's people with Solomon, God's people publicly celebrated God and his king with a loud cheer. And the private party for Adonijah, it dissolves as Solomon becomes the king. And Solomon drowns out the imposter coronation. And Solomon's entry into Jerusalem on a donkey across a Kidron Valley into the Gihon Spring, it declares the true king. It announces the first triumphant, triumphant entry. It announces that the priestly leader, Abiathar, and all the religious leaders, that they're phonies, that they're counterfeits. It announces that the military leader, Joab, and all his military powers, they're not in charge. That there was a real king in charge. And this one, this king on the donkey, is the true son of David. So, a Palm Sunday church, we celebrate Jesus retracing Solomon's path across the Kidron Valley and entering Jerusalem on a donkey. It's a picture of humility. Jesus entered on a donkey. He didn't enter in a war horse, but a humble and meek donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. And it evokes a contrast between God's kingdom and the sort of entrance that Herod or Pilate would have received had they entered that city that week. But as a reflection of Solomon's coronation, Jesus' triumphal entry teaches us even more. What can we learn? We could learn, and it testifies, when Jesus entered in Palm Sunday, that the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders who oppose Jesus are phonies. They're fake. They're counterfeit. Like the sons of Eli, they are disqualified from representing the true and living God. And also says that Rome, with all of its military power, and might, Rome was not in charge. Later on, we'll read that even the blind could see that Jesus, this king of the donkey, king on the donkey, he is the true son of David. Number two, would you write this in? Number two is that Jesus, the true king, he is greater. Type that in or uh, write that in, that Jesus, the true king, is greater. In John 18, verse 36, when Pilate questioned Jesus, verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Thankfully, Jesus' kingship is unlike Solomon's. It was kind of like Solomon's, 
but even greater. Romans 5, 1 Corinthians talks about how there was a first Adam that through one man, through one man Adam, his disobedience, it brought death and it brought judgment. But Jesus is the greater Adam, that he's the second Adam or he's the last Adam. And that through his obedience, right, it brings blessing. That through his death, he brings life and even more through his resurrection. All right. So let me present to you a biblical picture. Adam, but Jesus is greater. Solomon, King Solomon, but King Solomon is greater or he's the greatest. He's a greater king. Solomon disbelieved God and Solomon trusted in his idols. Jesus never did. Even while Jesus was hanging on the cross and he's suffocating, Jesus committed his sin into the Father's hands. He says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. From beginning to end, Jesus was faithful and he was obedient. Solomon sinfully took for himself foreign queens so that he could bolster his, his uh, status. But Jesus, instead of acquiring, he gave up himself for his bride, the church. Solomon was polluted by foreign wives, but Jesus, he cleansed and he sanctified the bride so that he, may, he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and blameless without blemish. Ephesians 5, 27. Solomon, he built a temple, but then he led his people to worship foreign idols. Jesus, he established a new temple and is the worship leader for his assembled people. Solomon led his people down through a path of exile after his leadership because of his idolatry. Jesus, he becomes the path to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Solomon died just like his father David died. But Jesus rose from the dead to give everlasting life, not only to David and Solomon, but to all his royal sons and daughters. Do you guys see how Jesus is greater? That Jesus is a fulfillment of the true son of David, that through his kingdom, through the son of David's kingdom, that it will be established forever and ever and ever. 2000, it's been over 2,000 years and King Jesus still reigns and still rules. Nations rise, empires fall, but the name of Jesus, the King of Je the King Jesus, he still reigns. Solomon was the wisest man on the earth. Jesus was infinitely more wiser. Solomon was a good king. Jesus was a great king. And lastly, we'll close with this, that the second triumphal entry ushered in the kingdom of God. The second triumphal entry ushered in the kingdom of God. Let's read immediately what happens uh, in Matthew's account, verses 1 through 11. We read that, you know, Hosanna, Palm Sunday. But immediately after that coronation, as he goes into Jerusalem, Let's look at verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. 
and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. What did Solomon, he built the temple, but what does Jesus do? He cleansed the temple. Later on in his death, what separated us, the veil was torn into two, so now we have complete access. Through Jesus entering in, through his second entry, what else happened? After he cleanses the temple and he brings reformation in Israel, in the people of God, he ushers in the kingdom of God. How do we know that? Because the present evil age of sin, of sickness, and death, and disease, and wickedness. What happens after Jesus enters in? The blind see, the lame walk, and immediately Jesus started healing him. So this Palm Sunday, Hosanna, what does does Hosanna mean? Hosanna is from Psalm 100. 18 verse 25 save us we pray O Lord O Lord we pray you give us success the word Hosanna Hoshiana um, before it used to mean like a help save us please save us please rescue us please deliver us and this word Hosanna Hoshiana uh, throughout the centuries uh, leading up to Jesus time It only referred to God. That's like, hey, only God can save us. We've gone through, we've been oppressed by by the Romans, by the Babylonians, by the Persians, by the Greeks. We've been an oppressed people. And the people cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, God. Save us, Yahweh. Save us, God. And what, so Hosanna was only referred to God himself. And what did the people do? They said, Jesus is God. Not only is Jesus king as the anointed, the Messiah, but Jesus himself is God. And this word Hosanna, it became a transition and it morphed from a plea of help and it became a shout of hope and expectation. It it changed from please help us to salvation is here. And the Pharisees, They view Jesus' um, crowd um, when the people pour their praise. They saw it as blasphemy because Hosanna only referred to God. And so this morning, um, as we have communion, we celebrate the triumph of the second coming. Amen. We celebrate the triumph of the second king to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. He enters to the praise of children and adults, unmasking all pretenders to his throne, reminding us that he alone, he, Jesus alone, is worthy of king. He's the true king and he's worthy to be followed and to be obeyed. Amen. Let's go ahead and take communion. Do you guys have your uh, communion ready? Scripture says, For I received from the Lord, which I now deliver unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, 
he broke it. He blessed it. He gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat of this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we remember, Lord, um, Hosanna, that you are the king, that you are humble and meek and lonely, that you are the rightful and you're the true king. And so, Lord, this morning we ask that you um, cleanse us, oh Lord Jesus. Lord, we have usurped you. We have sat on the throne that only you deserve to sit in and you deserve to reign. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, as we confess, Lord, we would also repent. As we eat this bread, oh Lord, I pray that you would give strength and sustenance so that we could love you and follow you. Lord, love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and eat of the bread. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood. Drink of this as often as you eat. For as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup. Amen. Well, happy Palm Sunday, you guys. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give you peace. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you good Friday and Easter. Take care.